Lord, help us to hear your word preached, Lord, and apply it to our lives and turn from sin and trust in the freedom that your son bought at the, at the cross, Lord, like we talked earlier. And we are grateful to you for uh, just everything you do for us. And sometimes we don't see it. I was just walking with Eli on the side of the building, just so grateful to you for the, the group from Cornerstone that came up. I pray that you would bless their efforts, Lord, and bless that church down in Florida, and bless all the other ones that are uh, preaching your word today. I pray that they would receive ripe fruit for their labors, and that you would bless them beyond measures, Lord. Not for some kind of praise of man, but for your honor and your glory, Lord. We are grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would please turn with me to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, and I'll be reading chapter 14, verses 18 through 21. And last week we looked at this text, we, we got through verse... 19, I believe. We got through verse 19. And what I talked about last Sunday was really that what Jesus is describing here is it's this presence of the future, the coming of the Spirit, and the communion that these believers and, and we will have with Him by virtue of the Spirit. So he's giving them comfort, of course, because he is describing now his departure. He's talking about leaving them, and of course his way to heaven is the cross. He's going to die. That, tr that truth is not clear in the minds of the disciples yet, but they know that he is leaving. And so they, they begin to have a dialogue where they make statements and ask questions, and Jesus is answering them. And now here what he is doing is uh, giving them comfort in light of his departure and the coming of the Spirit. So we'll pick up at verse 18 and read through verse 21. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that time you will know that I am in the Father, or in my Father, and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Amen. Amen. And uh, by way of summary then, in verse 18, Jesus gives his disciples a promise of his coming. And now, of course, this promise of his coming is, as I said last week, there's a bit of ambiguity. Jesus is doing this on purpose because he is going to return to be with his disciples after his crucifixion because he will be raised from the dead and he will be with them for 40 days. But there's also the truth that we're going to see in this text, um, not, maybe not next week, but in a few weeks, maybe a month, <laughs> that the Spirit will come. The Spirit is the helper. He is the paraclete. He is the comforter. And He comes in Christ's stead to comfort the disciples. So you have that reality. So verse 18, you have a promise of His coming. Now verse 19, what we have is a promise of eternal life. Listen to what He says. A little longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because 
I live, you will live also. And then in verse 19, of course, what he's talking about seeing, he's not talking necessarily about visible sight. What he's, he is talking about is faith. And we looked at the Old Testament as God described as the God who sees. In other words, knows his people. He sees them. And then how God has allowed his people in one respect or another to see him, to see who he is, to strengthen their faith. And we saw that this language of seeing is used by Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, I think it was, to describe faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6. This is Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Seeing is a figurative way of describing believing. And the, and the reason why the world does not see Christ is because they do not believe in Him. Therefore, He does not manifest Himself to them. He's going to say that a bit later. And He says, because I live, you will live also. Because they have faith in Christ, they will have eternal life. So verse 19 is a promise of His coming. 18, excuse me, is a promise of His coming. Verse 19 is a promise of eternal life. And now verse 20. A promise of communion with Him. At that time, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. You know, sometimes when I read John, I think to myself, I think he's trying to be difficult. <laughs> really, I, I really do think John is trying to be difficult. But if we take our time with this passage, and we, really, what Jesus is doing here, he is making, he makes two statements. First, at that time you will know that I am in my Father. That's, that's his first statement. At that time, now remember back a little while longer, that literally means in a day. In a day, the world will see me no more. He's speaking, of course, about his death, resurrection, those things in a day. But now he says, at that time. At what time? When you see me and the world does not see me. At that time you will know that I am in my Father. So, there is a, is a special work that will be performed by the Lord Jesus Christ that will reveal that there is a union between Christ and the Father that can be described as being in Him. There is a unity and a communion between the two so that Christ will perform a work that will make it distinctly clear to the disciples that there is a union between the Son and the Father that is uncommon. Where, where do I get that idea from? Well, first, because of the connection. At that time, you will know. And what is he, was, what is he just discussing? Well, his coming, verse 18, and the promise of eternal life, verse 19. Jesus, this is a constant theme in the Gospel of John, that Jesus does what the Father does. And in doing what the Father does, it reveals that there is a union between the two that is an uncommon 
common union. In other words, these statements are Trinitarian statements. They are statements that reveal the reality that what God the Father can do, the Son can do because He is God also. They share the same divine essence. So let, let me, by way of reminder, let's look at some texts in the Gospel of John where Jesus says this. The first is in John 5. And, it, and this begins because Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and the Jews are very upset. So they begin to persecute Jesus, and Jesus makes this statement in verse 17. He says, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. So he and the father have been working together. Now the Jews pick up on this statement, and now they want to kill him even more. Verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because not only... But because he not only broke the Sabbath according to their man-made traditions, but also said God was his Father, making himself equal with God. So they get the Jews get the statement about equality, and in essence, that is what Jesus is communicating in um, John chapter fourteen. That there is an equality between him and the Father, uh, and it has to do, and it, that is revealed. That equality is revealed, or we can see that equality between him and the Father by the works that he performs. Note verse nineteen. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Father does. The Son also does in like manner. The Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does and will show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father, and here, here it is. This, is, this particular text is very tightly connected to our text in chapter 14. Remember, Jesus says to the disciples, because I live, you will live also. Why would He make a statement like that? Again, I think there's a bit of ambiguity in that statement also. What does He mean by that? Because I live. He's standing there alive. Well, in a day, they're going to see Him crucified and die. And He is making the statement that He will be alive when they see Him again and He manifests Himself to them. It will have been a Christ who has gone through suffering and death and is still living. So, verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does, and He will show Him greater works in these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, this is the work that the Father does. The Father raises the dead and gives life to the dead. He does it with Lazarus. He is going to do it with the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will also do it with the disciples. And one day with all of us. Even so the Son gives life to whom He wills. You see that, that, that sovereign prerogative? That what the Father does, the Son can do also equally, just as the Father. Why? Because, to use Trinitarian language, there is one essence and three persons. One divine essence. 
in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, all three God, yet distinct persons, the mystery of the Trinity. That, the Son does, uh, uh, excuse me, verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son as they honor the Father. So consider this. Would we, would we honor um, the? Would we honor Minnie Mouse, who is the Queen of Disney World, the same way we would honor the Queen of England? No, we wouldn't honor either of them because we're American. But that's besides the point. <laughs> okay, so I'm just kidding. But fictitious character, right? All of the princesses in Disney are these fictitious characters, right? And any kind of uh, affection that we might show to them really has to do with just um, play. It's not real. But the honor or the respect that we would show to Queen Elizabeth would be a, a real honor and respect due to her office. If we honored a Disney princess as we honored the Queen of England, who would that disrespect? The Queen of England. And if the Son was not God, and we honored him as God, who would we dishonor? God himself. So, Jesus says that all should honor the Son as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You see, and even in this passage, what is he talking about? He's talking about equality and unity of persons. And that is revealed by the nature of the work that the persons perform. We do the same work. Here, it's the granting and giving of eternal life. The Father can do it. The Son can do it. Therefore, that reveals to us. This is one of the ways that it is revealed to us that the Father and the Son are God. There are a bunch of passages like this in John. Let me just, I'm going to read a, a bunch of other ones to you. John 10, 38. But if you do, though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know that, excuse me, so that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. That's John 10, 38. John 14, 10 through 11. And this is just a, a few verses before our section in John 14 that we're looking at this morning. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. You see, this, this constant refrain that there's a unity between the Father and the Son that is expressed or revealed by the works that the Son does and the works that the Father does, of course. John 17, 21. That they may, um, excuse me, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one just as we are one I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved 
me. So this, this truth that there is a union, there is a special, there is a union, a divine union that exists between the Father and the Son, and it is expressed in the work that the Son does. And in John chapter 14, that work that he is talking about is the giving of eternal life, particularly his own resurrection. His own resurrection. So in verse 20, in verse 18, you have a promise of his coming. Verse 19, you have the promise of eternal life. And verse 20, you have a promise of communion. We haven't finished the verse, though. We saw that in the first part, the, the Son is making this statement about unity because he will rise from the dead and come back to his disciples. Now he, ha now he adds this. That I am in my Father... And you in me, and I in you. That, that's, that's not two separate statements, that's just one statement. He, he, in essence, is saying the same thing, right? He is in his disciples, and his disciples are in him. So, in the first half of the verse, he's speaking about a particular kind of union that exists between himself and the Father that is revealed by the nature of the work that he accomplishes. And now, in the second half of the verse, he's speaking about the union that exists between believers and himself. And let me ask a question now. How, would, how could we know practically if we have been united to Christ by faith? How could we know that? Well, John tells us. Look at 1 John. Chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Okay? Right? So, the, John gives us a command that we are to love one another. And my ability to love another Christian is an evidence that God is working in me. It's not the cause of God's love for me. It's not that I choose to love God's people, and when I choose to love His people, then God reciprocates and says, Oh, I'm going to love you. No. My love for the people of God is evidence that God is, in work, is at work in me. Or put it another way, is evidence that God has already loved me. That's what John is going to tell us here. Verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, why would I go to this passage? Of course, because I'm going to add a couple of other passages from 1 John. But... <laughs> 
but my main point is this. Evidence that, that there is a union, a saving union, between myself and the Lord Jesus Christ is evident in the works that I perform. Evidence that Christ is in me, that I have been united to Christ in a saving way, is evident by the works that I perform. So, Jesus, Jesus, in essence, argues from the greater at first. You know that I am God because I perform the works that God performs. And you know that you have eternal life if you perform those works which I perform at a human capacity and level. That's why, now go back to John, he says this in verse 21, and we'll come back to verse 21, but I just want you to see it. Why does, why does he jump into verse 21 talking about commandments? Kind of seems strange. Why, why would Jesus do that? He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is him who loves me. Why does he do that? Because he was just talking about the... Um, it, Jesus was just talking about proof or evidence that he and the Father are equal. What is the proof? The works that they perform. What is the proof and evidence? Not that we are equal to the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we will never be. We are not God. But what is the proof and evidence that we have been united to Christ in a saving way? The fruit of obedience in our life. The fruit of obedience is also evident in our keeping His commandments. So that he is comfort. He's giving the, the he is absolutely giving the disciples uh, comfort here. He's saying to them first and foremost, I promise I'm going to come to you. Not only will I come to you, but you. I'm also promising verse 19 that you have eternal life. And in verse 20, I am promising this that I myself do the works of God, and you will also do the works of God. He's promising communion. Communion in what? Communion and fellowship in the same work. One more place in 1 John that, uh, that is important. <clears throat> and it is in... Look at verse uh, 20 of chapter 4. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. And, and, and again, oh, well, to hate your brother is to violate which commandment? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Oh, so, so what is Jesus talking about here? Practically speaking, he is talking about keeping the commandments of God. If somebody says, I love God, but they hate their brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? 
And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is a Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, loves him who is begotten of him. And what does he mean by that? Uh, if you say that you love he who begot, that's God, you must love those whom he begets. Christians. That's what he's talking about uh, there. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So, let's go back to... Uh, and sometimes, uh, as I said, I think John is purposefully being very complicated. <laughs> but he gives us clues in his epistles and in other places in his uh, gospel account. So as we go back to the passage, and Jesus says this, at that time you will know that I am in my Father. How will we know? By the work that he performs, by, being, by raising himself from the dead and imparting eternal life, something only God can do. And you and me, and I and you, how will we know that? How will we know that he is in us, and that we are in him, and that we are united to him savingly? He who says... Excuse me, yes. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. That's how you know. The evidence and the proof that we belong to Christ, that we have eternal life, verse 19, and that Christ will come back to us, that he will not leave us as orphans, is going to be affected in our own lives by our obedience to his command. In other words, one of the things that Jesus is doing here is he is removing any hope and comfort from, from men and from women who believe that they can have peace with God and there could be no change in their life. He, he is clearly taking that comfort off the table. If you do not love God expressed by obedience to his commands as a display of love for his people, you are not united to Christ, verse 20. You, will not, you do not have eternal life, verse 19. And Christ will not come to you by virtue of his spirit. You see, it, that's just working backwards. Looking at the argument and working backwards. So verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. That's evidence. So, Jesus could have said this another way. He could have said, He who does the works that I do will be loved by me. Verse, uh, verse 20, the second half. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Ultimately, the point that Christ is making is that he will reveal himself to those who love him. Now, we have to speak about context, of course, because he does this a particular way with the twelve. He appears to them physically. He comes to them. He speaks with them. He has meals with them. He cooks for them. Fish on a beach. And they partake with him. So he revealed himself in a way that he does not reveal himself to us. He does not manifest himself at this particular 
point in history in a visible and tangible way. And the reason for that is because uh, we must live by faith. And faith is not sight. Those two things are two very different things. So how does Christ manifest or reveal himself to us today? The first way he does it is through the preaching of the word, through the reading of the word, through the hearing of the word. The second way that he does it is by means of his church. He reveals his love for his people by the way his people love one another. That is one of the ways that Christ reveals himself. And that union is so tight, I bring up this text all the time, that Jesus can say to Paul, 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 or Saul, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When Saul is persecuting the church. Why? Because there is such a union between the two. And there is such a work uh, that Christ is performing. He is in us and we are in Him that when Christ wants to show His love for His people, when He wants to manifest it, when He wants to reveal it, how does He do Does He do that by showing up and giving hugs and kisses uh, as you're exiting the church? No. He does it by means of other Christians hugging and kissing you on your way out of the church. He does it by our obedience to His commands as a reflection of His love for us. Therefore, what Jesus is promising here in verse 18, of course, is a promise of his coming. In verse 19, you have a promise of eternal life. In verse 20, you have a promise of communion. And in verse 21, you don't have a promise necessarily, but what you do have is evidence. How can we be certain that the promises that he gives us in verses 19 through 20 will be ours? Has our faith affected us in such a way that it is evident that we love God by our love for his people? If that is not evident, what must you do? Repent and believe the gospel. If it is evident, what must you do? Well, praise God. Give Him glory. Because apart from His work in your life, you would not love Him, and you would not love His people. So in light of these things, let us go to God in prayer, and then we'll stand and sing the doxology. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for these promises that You hold out to us. Promises of coming to us by means of the Spirit. And even now as believers, He indwells us and he is the guarantee that we have been forgiven of all of our sins he is the guarantee that we will enter heaven he is a guarantee that we will be glorified he is a guarantee that you love us so Lord we thank you for his work and as we look to Christ and we see him in the gospels performing the works of God we can have great confidence in knowing that He was your Son, your promised Son, the one who would crush the head of the serpent. So we ask, Lord, that by virtue of our union with Him and the work of the Spirit, we would express our love to you and our love to your people by keeping your commandments. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.